What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, lots of music this week, man. Yeah, at long last, the floodgates have reopened back up. You know, everyone just had to release at the same time. Not really sure why that was, but uh, plenty of good stuff, plenty of big names. So it's always an exciting time when stuff's coming out. Yeah, the, the spring album drops, spring through the early summer, are always interesting because you kind of know that they're usually uh, preceding uh, festival appearances and tours, and which is a good sign. That means summer's right around the corner. Really nice to get all these, all these uh, new albums out. And I think some good albums to talk about this week, at least interesting ones. So um, a lot here to, to get into. We're also going to be talking about couple of tv shows a stand-up special and a movie so if you're watching or listening on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod hit that subscribe and also go to nostalgia on spotify and give us a five star rating dave we're gonna start with a surprise album drop from the clouds sid after five years dropping uh broken hearts club I mean, Sid had to pick this weekend. She couldn't have waited one more. Baffling. Baffling, honestly. <laughs> Second solo album, like you said. Five years since Finn came out in 2017. I mean, shit, the last internet album, of course, which she's a member, key member, the last internet album was 2018. So it's been a long time, no matter what, for, for Sid. You know, and I was actually reflecting on it, even Steve Lacey. That kind of mediocre debut album from him, that was back in 2019. We haven't heard from really anyone in the internet too much. I think there's been some other solo records popping up here and there, but we've been waiting to see something from Sid. And this was actually uh, uh, quite the pleasant surprise for me, just because I was not super high on that first solo album, Finn. And I think this has a nice sonic uh, departure from what she was doing on Finn, namely it's just much more... uh, upbeat and i think more pleasurable to listen to so definitely a welcome surprise yeah you know even just kind of flicking through the uh the time sid has kind of popped up in our listening recently uh popped up on the zane album nobody's listening which um yeah <laughs> a forgotten album for me and and the, the zane heads <laughs> will be after us i'm sure uh drop the comments below uh, she was on Energy with Disclosure a few years back. That was right. maybe the last like really big thing we listened to her. And I feel like there was something else more recently. She's been doing a few features here and there, but for the most part, kind of doing her own thing. And to see her just kind of pop up like this is uh, really cool. And I found this, I think, similar to how you, what you were alluding to, to be a really welcome and uh, surprising second album. I, I just thought that this felt like a real step forward for her music, uh, music wise. And just mm. not only did I, I find this to be like a really pleasurable listen, just like some really sultry R&B and she just sounds impeccable on it. But it just made me hope that this is like Sid kind of emerging to be part of the music world, <laughs> you know, more. Mm. Um uh, I don't know. It just was, was really nice to hear from her again. Cause uh, you kind of forget just how talented she is. And then she pops right. back up and like, Oh man, she just sounds so good. No, I mean, not only is she so talented, but she's been around such a long time over 10 years. Yeah. 
you know, as a founding member of Odd Future, really the uh, providing the early infrastructure for Odd Future to record their debut mixtapes and and whatnot. So yeah, I mean, it's been so long, and it's really only the second solo album. But because it feels like such a step forward from Finn, it's almost like a new first step sonically to me. And I think what's cool about Broken Hearts Club is there's like two kind of distinct halves to this album. Like thematically, it's about like the positives of the relationship, the like honeymoon phase, if you will. And then towards the end, it's like the heartbreak, the heartbreak, the breakup and all that. And like the music definitely conveys those two feelings well. I definitely like the first half more, as you can imagine, by the theme lends itself to being more upbeat and uh, happy sounding, if you know, stuff like that. Uh, I think the first three track, first four tracks in particular, I really, really liked. Uh, C-Y-B-A-H, Can You Buy a Heart with Lucky Day. It's like super upbeat. Tie the Knot. I thought the production on that. And Fast Car. was really notable, almost pop leaning. And then mm-hmm. Right Track also sounds really good with a really awesome feature from Smino that fit the track really well. So I thought the, the start is definitely my favorite part of it. Yeah, right track is just like this more energetic feeling song to it. And Smino really brings, like you said, I think a nice compliment to Sid on the track. Um, I really, really like the production and specifically the the bounciness of CYBAH just from the get-go. It's just like you're just bouncing to it and just it's so sticky it's really really great way to start the album i agree i think those first four tracks are probably the highlight but you know you get like a like a toned down ballad later on with with out loud with kalani that i think is just really beautiful and her and sid just sound really really great trading verses together um i i agree that i think the second half of the album it doesn't hit just as as much as the first half for me but i still found it to be a really nice listen especially b-m-h-y-w-d-y i don't know what that stands for but steve lacy um, produced yeah i think that just sounds really well produced so that makes sense that steve lacy was all over that one um also just wanted to say we i forgot to uh say that steve lacy was on the vampire weekend album years mm. back so that was probably right. the last time we really like enjoyed a steve lacy thing so this is nice to see him yeah. producing and kind of collaborating again i got a feeling he's got an album coming soon because dark red off the demo project like became a uh tiktok hit well after the fact recently it's not a really huge song for him so you know who knows maybe this will lead itself to an internet album in the near future as well again it's been several years for them as a group but either way i'm really happy to hear sid take like a step forward i think in a really positive way so welcome surprise absolutely well we're going to be adding uh, a sid song to our nostalgia best of 2022 playlist on spotify so check that out let's stay west coast though dave and move on to vince staples a rapper that i think we both really like really admire um i think we like the boundary pushing of his music i think we Mm. like his overall um, celebrity and persona and just, I think a really likable guy in a lot of ways. But the last time we we reviewed him with a self-titled album, we were a little, I I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but it it wasn't what we were hoping to get from Vince. Would you say that? 
yeah, I think the self-titled album, which came out less than a year ago, last summer, 2021, it was not a departure lyrically, subject matter wise from Vince. That was all still there in a positive way. You know, I think a song like Sundown Town comes to mind, but overall the production was stripped back in a way that it didn't match Vince's choice to provide more understated flows and deliveries. Lyrics were still there, but just the whole overall package seemed a little definitely different from what we expected from Vince to this point. And in my opinion, not the most appealing sound from him. Right. But it was interesting to get a new record so soon, full length album, Ramona Park broke my heart twice as long as the last two albums, of course, self-titled and FM were 20 minute albums. Ramona Park broke my heart. Uh, album five from Vince Staples, very prolific. And this felt like a really awesome continuation of what he was clearly doing last year on the self-titled album, where he was trying to make a new uh, change in terms of how he performed. But this time he picked just way better beats. And overall, the songs are just a lot more fun, even though there is some understated more melodic Vince Staples. It's not all as super aggressive as you expect from some of his trademark songs. So I think that it was really cool to see these two things get married in a real positive way because he definitely, from last year, we could tell he was leaning this way in terms of what he wanted to do. So this really pleased me, this album. Yeah. In thinking about the direction he's been moving as an artist since Big Fish Theory, and really, I think, from even before that, just to kind of as like an encapsulation of his career and how he's evolved. This really felt like a nice amalgamation of all of his different um, sides and all of his different uh, interests as an artist. You know, I think there's some really creative beats and some, I, I think just it, overall, like you said, it just sounds a lot better. He does lean more into like, I think the toned down melodic Vince that you got on the self-titled album, but he just does it in a way that is just so much more interesting and intricate and layered and um, just really found this to be a lot more interesting to listen to. And I, I thought it was really pleasurable from start to finish. You know, I was kind of trying to look here and be like, oh, where were the lulls in the album? I don't know if there ever really was a point where I had, there was like a stretch of songs that I really didn't care for. It always kind of kept moving for me, which I think speaks to just how solid this is as an album. So tell me what the highlights were for you. Well, I think right off the jump, once I, heard the first single magic with dj mustard once i heard that as the lead single i was like oh now wait just a minute vince is gearing up for another one exciting but also you can tell when you listen to that track oh wait no no we're going in a slightly different direction from a production standpoint here you get two mustard songs on ramona park broke my heart magic as well as bang that but magic when you hear, which actually, by the way, it seems to be the title was changed on Spotify. It's now called Magic with Mustard. Magic with Mustard, not, yeah. Not just Magic. Magic, perfect match, honestly, Mustard and Vince. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Mustard made his bones, you know, eight years ago when he really exploded because he was a perfect match for YG in terms of bringing LA gangster rap of the 2010s to the forefront. That Mustard bounce, you know when you hear it. We still hear the mustard bounce on these two songs, but Vince, he just rides these beats Mm. in such an awesome way, even though it's not still, it's not super aggressive. It is a more 
mellowed out flow from Vince, but it matches the mustard beat so well. But both those songs are great. I really like the one of the lines from Magic, uh, love costs, but the game free. Feels like a perfect encapsulation of a lot like the Vince lyricism. Yeah, no, Magic with Mustard, I think, is a clear standout and just an absolute banger of a song. I mean, it's definitely like we're I'm always thinking about this, and I usually bring it up to you when we talk about these sorts of things, but I'm always thinking about like top 10. It's definitely my top 10 for this year so far. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to be there at the end of the year, but it's just, it's a great song. Yeah. This album will be represented on the list in some fashion. I'm pretty <laughs> confident in that. Uh, but, you know, but then when you get uh, single two, Rose Street, again, really awesome production. And this time a really catchy hook from Vince. I just had so much goodwill going into the album because I really liked both of those two lead singles. Mm-hmm. And like you said, when you listen to the album and all these hopes are kind of confirmed in a positive way, when you, when you hear everything Vince is doing on this, there isn't much of a, if any, lulls. And I thought that was really awesome. In particular, I think uh, Slide, Paper Cuts, Lemonade, and Player Ways as a four-song run towards the middle uh, really stood out to me. But I, overall, yeah. I liked a lot of these tracks. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that middle is really strong. I really like Lemonade a lot. Um, it It's that perfect, like, West Coast, like, R&B hip-hop sound. And he just right. really, like you said, flows over it so well. He just sounds so, like, confident and assured on this. And just, like, he he's definitely confident with the project, which you, that I think comes through. You know, I just wanted to go back real quick because right before Magic with Mustard is probably one of my other favorite tracks mm. from the top of the album, which is DJ Quick. Yeah. Oh man, I ran this back immediately after listening to it just because I really love like the the hook on it, you know, where he's yeah. saying, uh, if it don't make money, then it don't make sense. Just like, mm-hmm. oh damn, it's so simple, but like it's just like right. a really like perfect line for him and he delivers it so well. And just like Again, another example of him just really gliding over these beats, and it's perfect. Yeah, it, it's a more understated delivery, yet matched with a really up-tempo track. So mm-hmm. it's really fun still. I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I said Bang That before, another Mustard song. I think that's a really catchy hook. Probably the most melodic Vince gets on this record. Lemonade, yep. probably my favorite, like, hashtag LA hip-hop song, because... Just the way Ty Dolla Sign just hops in yeah. on the track. It's a quick drop in vocally, and it's a nice contrast of uh, you know vocal vocal stylings between Dolla and Vince. Love that one. And uh, I mentioned Paper Cuts, DJ Dahi beat there. Yeah, overall, I think there's just a lot that like you really want to revisit on this. And you know, like I said, the deliveries are definitely changed from the past few years, but you still have the Vince Rye sense of humor, the the coldness that you expect from his lyricism. He's often very matter of fact about his storytelling, but he's still really telling you things about himself and his past and the darkness of the streets and things along those lines. So it feels very much like in con in concert with what Vince's the best Vince albums, the best things in Vince's discography have been, but he's still doing, bringing something new because he took what he was clearly inspired about last year in terms of how he performs and brought that in to what he does best. So yeah, I was really, really happy with this one. Just real quick. Um, where would this fall in your Vince discography? Top two, top three. It's a great question. I'd have to say maybe three. 
you know, it's it's tough. I would like I need to revisit Summertime 06 just because that is bar for bar some of the best. Plus, that's a double album from Vince. But then like Big Fish Theory was such a step to the side with more electronic production and FM was so succinct conceptually. And even go further back. I, I mean, I became a Vince fan before the albums. I love Hell Can Wait, the EP. You know, I, he's got so many awesome moments that it. Uh, I think we will probably do a ranking uh, episode of his in the future because there's definitely enough material to really get into at this point. Yeah, so stay tuned for Vince. Well, again, we'll be dropping a track or two onto our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist. Dave, let's keep it moving, though. Hopping to the other coast with Fabio Foreign, a guy we talked about very recently when we, we reviewed Donda 2 and talked about uh, a track he was on with Kanye that also mm-hmm. appears on this. And City of I, Gods. I'm, I'm interested to see, I, I'm interested to hear if, if you really liked this album, where it kind of fell for you, because I mean, you get a lot of the, the classic drill sound all throughout. I actually think it becomes a, a little bit like redundant at points. Some of the, the production feels very samey, especially in the second half of the album of mm. the album. But there's also, I think, some really solid songs on here. And so, but there's a lot of features. And so I'm wondering where, where this fell for you. Were you impressed? Yeah, I mean, just overall, 17 tracks. That is a lot, no matter how you slice it. Still under an hour, though. I really like this album from 5 4 and the long-awaited debut album from 5 32 years old, but this is the official debut. Just because this album feels like 5 delivering on the promise people put on him you know, 2019, 2020 time when Big Drip became so huge and Fabio was kind of tabbed as the next mainstream rapper to succeed out of Brooklyn Drill following Pop Smoke. And we talked about him before Donda, of course, with that debut mixtape, 800 BC, where again, the talent was evident. And I thought the, the little TJ track, Ambition, I was like, you can clearly hear the Fabio charm, the charisma, the energy from him but still existing in that that Brooklyn space. Waiting for this album, we got Donda 1 and 5E04N's feature on Off the Grid. An amazing verse, the best verse of his career to that point, which kind of, I think, even put more pressure on this debut album because the expectations got raised once again. And we've kind of been waiting for this because no one actually filled the New York, King of New York rapper more, uh, hole that Pop Smoke left because Pop Smoke actually maintained the crown in 2020 with his huge posthumous album and all those amazing tracks on it. No one actually took the mantle if you really think about what's been happening, right? Cardi B now has more kids than albums. Nikki, Rocky, Joey, they're not really doing too much, right? It's been right there for someone to follow in Pop's footsteps. And I don't think Fabio Forms is as good as Pop Smoke, obviously. But I think finally someone has really like jumped up and grabbed that mantle in terms of leading Brooklyn Drill forward. Because like you said, there's still a lot of Brooklyn Drill stuff on here. Axel Beats, of course, the godfather of uh, BK Drill Beats is here. But I just think like he, he continued what, he, what we heard on Off the Grid lyrically with a lot of his verses on this. So even though it's a bloated record, I still was really pleased with it and more more off more than anything else, just really happy to hear five years kind of deliver on the promise and the hype after a few years. Yeah, you know, um, 
I really think that there's a lot to like on here. Um, you know, especially the couple of the tracks in the middle, I really, really liked. Um, and there, there's one at the top through the fire, which is just, I think mm. absolute flames. And Organ. Just, yeah. Just a ton of, of energy there. And he also, I think has some really, uh, choice production moments, you know, sampling some classic songs, but in a way that I think he makes it his own. That I think there's enough on this for me to be, you know, impressed with this. Uh, again, you said 17 tracks, still under an hour, but it's a little bloated, and a couple of these just feel samey to me by the end. But overall, I think that he delivers more often than not. And uh, if if you were waiting for this and just kind of waiting to see if he was actually gonna, you know, be able to bring it like people thought he could, I think he proved yeah. everybody that he can. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you mentioned the sample things, you know, sample drill as like a styling within drill got like really big over the past like year plus at this point or year, I'd say, right. Think of like CJ with whoopty probably most egregiously sleepy hollows, deep end freestyle becomes a TikTok hit, not because of the song, but because of the sample in it. Right. This time we get something super obvious sampling destiny's child, say my name in the song. What's my name. I think even more inspired, sampling Ellie Golding's lights on World Watching. Yeah. Nice was... feature from little TJ on there. So overall, I, I still think both those songs are good and I think kind of worthy because the sample drill movement seems to kind of be keeping drill music moving forward and giving it some more momentum. And Ellie Golding in particular, that's like that's just a nice cut. That's a oh. nice drop in there. Like that was an inspired choice. Yeah, when the song starts and you hear the the like, I don't even know what those are, the like twinkle or whatever. Yeah, the, yeah. the twinkle exactly. You're just like, <laughs> was this what I think it is? And then like, but I confirmed it. And then you hear yeah. her at the end of the song, you're just like, oh damn, what a moment! It was that was amazing. Uh, yeah, obviously, I think you mentioned um, the the Destiny's Child on What's My Name. Mm-hmm. Get, he's actually just like biting a neo song with neo like which is just like yep. <laughs> interesting choice but you know g- good look for neo right like i don't really don't feel like you really he, he could use the that. looks that's for sure <laughs> yeah exactly uh dave what other tracks really stood out to you on this yeah so you you mentioned through the fire i think between the qu- the organ and the background choir on that you know Kanye made through the wire this through the fire obviously putting lofty expectations on your own song there but i think it's an awesome song i love the verses mm-hmm. i just love how the organ and the choir fit in with uh five of you there and also quavo sounds awesome on that song as well as the subsequent song magic city yeah you know, quavo yeah. the auto-tune i think is a great fit on through the fire and then on magic city you know him and five of you just make a strip club banger it sounds so good but quavo sounds so full of life and so inspired which is often a flip of the coin these days on on guest spots in particular so i was really happy to hear that you know quavo did make a lot of songs with pop smoke uh in life and then on the posthumous albums too so he has a bit of a connection to this kind of this kind of music but i was still happy to hear like really good quavo on those two tracks yeah no i i actually really was impressed and <laughs> i was like is this really quavo i feel like we haven't heard quavo in this way in quite a while um you know a couple that i like later on uh back-to-back confidence with asap rocky and slime them featuring lil yachty i thought those that was a great middle of the album Rocky continues to just drop in and give great features and slime them. It's just like super catchy. And I, yeah. I just thought that was a great hook. Yeah. So confidence with Rocky hearing Rocky do 
more of a drill flow. That's something obviously he does. Cool. Again, just super, super hopeful for an ASAP Rocky album. The last one was in 2018. It's been so long. I just hope he has one in him before he gives birth to uh, Rihanna gives birth, you know, uh, then slime them. Like you said, catchy, dark ass drill subject matter bar for bar with Yachty. Yachty fucking brings it on this track. Yeah. It's so hard. <laughs> uh, what, what'd you think of the, uh, a couple tracks later changed on me featuring Bori and Polo G. I mean, I feel like five year and Polo, Polo G as this like next wave of like, who's going to be like the big rapper comes up polo g and fabio kind of been in the discussion so hearing yeah. them together is cool yeah for sure polo's been big um yeah of course at the leaked song pop that i love this doesn't quite reach that level but you know more of the i think kanye quote unquote executive produced this album bible hearing vori on this after we heard vori all over donda kind of kind of seems uh, in sync there um right after that i liked left side with Blueface, just because that was Fabio clearly doing his more most melodic, most sing-songy stuff. Not something he's done too much, but I actually thought it sounded pretty good, and it made sense having Blueface on a song where you're talking about your group affiliation. So everything seemed pretty tactical there. Yeah, definitely. Um, any, any other thoughts on this album? I mean, I think I think we liked it. Obviously, yeah. I mean, we just named we named a bunch of tracks there. Yeah. Um, you know, just overall, like I said, I'm just happy to hear Fabio deliver on the promise, deliver on the hype, just because it really was no sure thing, you know, and um, just hoping that we can see this momentum in like near hip hop continue just because we were talking to people as they come up, you know, Chef G, Busy Banks, etc. But like no one's really been able to like burst through and Fabio became mainstream almost immediately with Big Drip, you know, his XXL last year, all that. But really just really curious to see what's next for him because he's getting a lot of big features from artists yeah. hot from new york so he's clearly becoming a rap star right before our eyes and also he's uh kind of being uh respected in the community as it were of course meeting with mayor eric adams to discuss the effects of drill music on the community so he's actually taking he told the new york times this he's taking a, a like a leadership position in terms of moving the scene forward it's cool to see him have a you know more mature outlook on that but then again he's older than you expect from someone with a debut album coming out but yeah overall two thumbs up for fiveo uh check out the fiveo album and also check out our nostalgia best 2022 playlist dave let's keep it moving to fifth harmony alum man remember fifth harmony work from home dog great mm. track you can still uh, do it yeah I mean, we have been for the last two years for a lot of people uh Camila Caballo uh, dropping her third album, Familia, which mm. third solo album, I should say. Um, Camila, I mean, w w what's your temperature at on her at this point? I mean, it's been a mm. few years since the last album. Where are you at? Right. And I think the thing was the second album, Romance, was a, a letdown after the first album. The first album, Camila, was good almost better than people expected. You know, the debut solo album from a pop singer leaving the group. Not the best track record for those turning out good, but it did turn out good. And Camille became a huge star. Romance was a letdown, you know, after everything that happened with Havana. And that and my temperature dec declined after that point, just because I was like, hmm, 
kind of playing it safe, kind of playing the hits, kind of doing the same thing you did last time, just to not as well affect. There were clear exceptions, like my oh my, with the baby was awesome. But other than that, I really didn't like it too much. And Senorita, the biggest song of her career, the number, the ninth most streamed song on Spotify, of course, featuring her ex, Sean Mendez. I never liked that song in the first place. So again, I just wasn't really feeling it last time in 2019. That the way said, I, I am not up on the, their relationship. They're not together anymore. No, no, no. They, 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 that was a very public split, my guy. Boys when? don't cry. What you think that's about on this new record? Oh, no. Oh, no. I think it's a positive development, though, overall. Yeah, probably. Just because romance was so lyrically into this relationship with Sean. Now we can kind of move past that and, uh, you know, get back to what first got people's attention as a soloist, which was, of course, Havana. Camilla at least nodding to her Cuban and Mexican roots with that song. And now she's actually diving full into Latin pop on this third album. And I think it's clearly her most interesting record today. It's not, not, not like an amazing album necessarily, but it's clearly her most interesting to this point. And it's obviously a positive development. Yeah. I think that this is a huge step forward for her and really exciting. Um, I, I still, I think like you alluded to, not a perfect album i think there's still a lot of things i maybe didn't love but overall uh i just really loved her leaning into her cuban roots and uh bringing in this this latin pop sound and i guess maybe we'll start there like what what songs did you find yourself like grooving mm-hmm. most to on this yeah well I, I think there's there's some clear highlights just for the production choices right like la, la buena vida that's just like a mariachi song from the mm-hmm. production side of things. Background vocals, those male background vocals towards the end of the track, I thought really stood out. This is Camille's first time singing in Spanish in her own music on her own album, which is kind of wild to actually think about, but it's the truth. She's taking more risks and just being more open about who she is on this album. I think that's really, really exciting. So La Buena Vida definitely stood out to me. Honestly, both the singles, I didn't love, you know, as singles, but in the context of the album, I thought they sounded a lot better. That would be Bam Bam with Ed Sheeran, which even though it still kind of has like the more like sanded edges that you expect from a song with Ed. <laughs> it also kind of reminded me of like an In the Heights song. I don't know. Like, so the, I didn't mind it. I, I totally agree. You know, as we've been listening to and watching a lot of... um like movies that have songs that are Latin inspired uh, in them. You know, I, I was like, this could definitely have been a part of in the Heights came to mind, but also something like Coco or mm. um, man, I'm blinking on the one from last year for the Colombian one Encanto. That oh was, yeah. Right. Yeah. So the, uh, all three of those, I mean, also the two of those are uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's, you know, mm-hmm. brain uh, development. So, uh mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree though i i think um bam bam uh sounded okay and i didn't hate hearing ed jump on i was like oh they actually flow together pretty well right. um psycho freak with willow i actually hadn't listened to the album when i watched her on snl uh. so seeing the performance i was a little like i don't know if i love this but in terms of the album i thought it flowed a little bit better and i actually think willow sounds pretty good um on this which is hmm. 
I don't know. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of Willow on TikTok, so I'm a little willowed out at this point. But <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't necessarily hate her on this. So yeah. I thought that was a win. Yeah, I'd say Will- Willow just it seems to be settling in to what she does after yeah. making a lot of music as a young person. So that's cool. But yeah, I, th- I think more than anything, Psycho Freak, it works as a song, but it's just another example of Camille trying to or being willing to do something different and take, yeah. some, take a chance. I think that's really commendable here. Uh, Hasta los dientes. Yes. I, I really like production side again, that drum line, very mm-hmm. catchy. And as I was alluding to before, uh, the other single, Don't Go Yet, which is becoming a big hit already. Um, chorus from Camille is like really catchy on that one. So I, I think like there's just a lot of like nice choices on here. I definitely am more, I gravitate more towards the more energetic stuff from her. Funny enough, quiet. I feel like is a more energetic song than the title would suggest. I think the the catchiness of the hook, in particular when like the guitar kicks in, I really enjoyed that. There's like a a little bit of like vocal layering of like her vocals on top of each other on the hook too. So there's just I think there's a lot more just that you can kind of pick out on this than some of her other albums. And I still think like vocally overall, she's not like the best vocalist ever. And I wish sometimes she brought a little bit more in that regard sometimes she's just kind of like fading into her own production but the production overall is just much stronger this time around so i guess i don't mind it that much yeah uh, i think i think you summarized it well i just want to piggyback on something you said hasta los dientes is definitely my favorite track from the album it's it is like a nice encapsulation of that 80s pop sound that's been so popular recently and bringing that Latin flair to it, it just really flows beautifully. And when the energy really picks up in the song, it's really infectious. So uh, I just really loved that one. But yeah, I, I, overall, I think that this is a real step forward for her. And I hope she continues to lean into the sound. And uh, I imagine that this is going to continue to be really well received. So I hope that she's going to just c- continue to grow this lane for herself. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's keep it moving, though. Dave, I... <laughs> I'm going to guess I'm going to guess that you did not like this next album as much as I did. Uh, Father John Misty <laughs> with <laughs> Chloe and the next 20th century. Whew, OK, I mean, Father John Misty, Josh Tillman made a lot of music. We've reviewed him quite a bit here on the podcast at this point. I feel like we have a, at least two albums under our belt. Mm-hmm. Within, the right? last two. And I mean, before that, um, uh, you know, Fleet very, Foxes. yeah, Fleet Foxes, a lot of projects made a lot of music in his time. I think he's kind of settled in to being the like, I don't want to say like old statesman of alternative folk rock, but that's kind of where he's at. But he does continue to find like interesting like lanes to kind of vary things up, I think. And he takes a very uh i don't think is the right word he takes a very uh, interesting perspective in his songwriting mm. you know bringing some humor and some real critical eye to the state of the world that continues on chloe in the next 20th century but he just takes a step backwards into like old time show tunes and real folk rock and it's yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a interesting mix i think it blends pretty well and for my like my laid back 
more low-key musical leanings, which I, I tend to kind of lean on, especially when I'm working or just kind of chilling at my house, I think I'll probably run this album back more than some of his other stuff because it's just it's nice to listen to. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna guess you did not enjoy this that much. No, I I didn't really love being <laughs> thrown into Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or Mad Men all of a sudden. Just not what I expected there. On the other hand, hats off. Like it's a real committed thing. It almost fits his like trollish personality yeah. that he brings to his artistry. Totally get it. The way you put it. You know, I totally get it. It makes complete sense. The thing is, like, I really enjoyed God's Favorite Customer, the last record from 2018. Mm-hmm. A song like Mr. Tillman, I thought was like super catchy. This is not trying to be that, which is totally no. fine. It just also does not for me. And I think that's the thing. It's like all this, like, you know, clearly like 1930s, 50s, 40s, whatever, like show tuny old school pop music. It sounds good the whole time. I think for me, it definitely blended together, and I just had a hard time like zone, uh, zooming in to like hear his lyrics because I know the lyrics are there, and I know he's going to have this like matter of fact personality and bring that into his songwriting in, in in funny ways. But I just couldn't connect with the music enough to like really listen hard enough. So why don't you take this one? Just because like I <laughs> I just couldn't get into it. Yeah, well, you know, I I. I have to say, I think his albums are the kind of things that you really need to like sit down and really like dig into the lyrics to really mm. I think get all of it. So after listening to the album only one time before we record, I don't know if I can speak too much to some of the great lyrics, but I do think for me, the times on this record that I found myself connecting with the songs more and really enjoying it were when he leaned more into the folkiness of it. So like the second track, Goodbye Mr. Blue, is like, a pure acoustic guitar track. Um, it's really, really beautiful. I actually think this might have been one of the singles off of. Yeah, it was off this, and it's really just a beautiful song. Um, and you know, Josh just really, uh, I think, croons over this in a really nice way with a beautiful buildup throughout the song, kind of leading to like the the dropout for like only the acoustic guitar by the end, and then like another a couple tracks later, quarter four kind of has this like this lead up into like a more t- toned down middle and then kind of builds back up to this uh, like more full sound. And I really love that, that track right in the middle. It actually brings in a little bit of country into it a little bit, which I think adds a nice energy to it. But yeah, like the moments like um, trying to think like funny girl didn't, didn't totally work for me. It's just almost like too, like early ninth, uh, 20th century, like show tuny um, for me. Uh, I think Chloe is interesting off the top. I mean, that's that's probably the most committed he is to the bit right at the beginning. And I think that's like at least a fun track to like Bob to. It actually reminds me of a song from Jesus Christ Superstar, which is obviously biting off a couple other of like old time <laughs> show tune songs. But I, I, I appreciated him going for it. Um, yeah, I think overall, this is, I think you described it well, because this is a track or an album that for me, I'm going to put on, I'm going to have in the background and I'll tune into moments and I'll, you know, laugh at a line or two there. And then I'll probably tune back out and do whatever I'm doing. So this in a lot of ways will be like an album I probably run back and hear a lot and it'll grow on me even more over time. But I think for now, I'm just kind of like, this is solid. I really appreciate that he 
continues to like push himself to do weird mm. stuff. And I mean, I did not expect that this was what we were going to get from him. So I appreciate the, the subversiveness if, if nothing else. Yeah, totally. I'd say for me, the song that I like the most is probably Q4, just yeah. Sonic standpoint. But yeah, but, overall, like it's definitely a impressive thing to to put out. And I guess that's what people yeah. expect from Father John Misty. You never actually know what you're going to get. You never do. And uh, someone else that I think you know more of what you're going to get, but continues to try to push the bounds of that is Jack White. And uh, man, I'm trying to think, Jack White's last album before this was what, a few years back now? Two? 2018, Boarding House Reach, White. the electronic Jack White record. Wow, both him and Father John Misty dropping four years ago. And Boarding House Reach, we did not like at all. Um, no. Bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, it's it's that's that's really interesting to think about that Jack White, similarly to Father John Misty, who we were just kind of lauding for pushing the bounds of of his sound and and always like kind of subverting things. Jack White was pushing the bounds, but just did not deliver in any sort of cohesive or pleasurable mm. way. And so <laughs> now we're we're going into this new album. He's going to be dropping two this year. So this is the first of two right. full length albums we're going to get. And it's like, man, do, do you feel like he took a step forward on this? Cause he definitely is still going for it for sure. Well, I think he's getting more back to the basics in a certain sense, just cause like the guitar is like way heavier mm-hmm. on fear of the dawn than it was on boarding house reach. Not that there wasn't yeah. a guitar the last time around, obviously he's a guitarist, but like, it just sounds more sounds closer to Lazaretto and Blunderbuss and the White Stripes, which yeah. I guess isn't all that much to achieve, but it is getting closer to what people like about the music you make. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think there's no better, um, you know, kind of fine point to that than the first two tracks, Seeking Me Back and Fear of yeah. the Dawn. The album just starts off totally ripping. I mean, yep. it's it's incredible. And taking me back, ending with a guitar solo that fades into Fear of the Dawn, it just kind of goes from there, is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then a couple tracks later, we get a song with Q-Tip. And I was kind of shocked. <laughs> I was, I wasn't, I didn't see who that he was on this. So I was like, who is rapping right now? I was like, this is, it really is Q-Tip? Like, <laughs> interesting choice. Heidi Ho, in general, is an interesting song i think yeah it stood out to it stood out to me more not not for the q-tip performance although that's obviously unexpected it stood out to me for the sample choice which is the cab calloway song heidi ho just because i had previously heard this sample used by jaden smith on his hit single icon Mm -hmm. you know i was like oh wow i know exactly what this is pulling from interesting to hear a completely different song use this sample uh yeah it was definitely a moment that made my ears perk up that's for sure yeah um uh, i definitely feel like whereas boarding house reach was leaning heavily into like more modern electronics i think jack on this kind of takes a step back to more classic electric guitar sound like something like esophobia to me almost feels a little like zeppelin-y 
uh, you know, and there were other points in this where I kind of got like a sense of Pink Floyd like mm. vibes, and I, I think might have been into the Twilight. Um, you know, because there's kind of like that weird breakdown in the second half of it. Uh, I don't know. It, it it worked in some ways, and at other times I was like, this this is just too much. But he definitely got weird on this, which I think is nice because if Jack White is gonna like right. continue to experiment like just get as weird as possible at this point let's see what you got yeah totally i mean he's, he's 46 so just do something anything that seems slightly different that's cool you know boarding house reach too different don't do mm-hmm. that but this you know yeah sure uh i think lyrically it's a bit up and down i thought what's the trick had like a really funny moment it's uh plus one and minus one equals zero that's a defeatist attitude i was like what the fuck does that mean yeah. uh, that you're gonna get that with jack white a lot of he's it saying it so it's such an animated way like he really means it and i was like all right man cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah any other tracks that you really liked off this nah, I, I definitely say my favorite track is track one taking me back that is just hard that, yeah. that's what i want from him yeah, I really liked uh, a couple other ones I liked. Um, Morning, Noon, and I, like you mentioned, I think it's like a very like uh, White Stripe sounding track. So I really appreciated that. Um, let's see. What's the trick? Um, I think has like a cool like moment where it goes from like guitar and it kind of has like this, this descending like chords to it at one point. And then it kind of builds back up. And it's just really like interesting production that, I wasn't expecting to hear it on this album, but I thought actually worked pretty well. And um, yeah, he just, every time he goes into the guitar solo, you're just like, oh yeah, this is why I like listening to Jack White. Cause he just can fucking shred. So it's, it's good shit. Um, yeah. So I don't think there's much more to say on Jack White. He's kind of the same as he ever was, but kind of making more inspired music maybe. So I uh, mm. appreciate that. Again, check out our now such a best of 2022 playlist. Let's switch gears, though, Dave, and talk comedy real quick. We unfortunately record on Mondays often, and Ronnie Chang dropped his new special speakeasy the Tuesday after we recorded last week. So we're getting to this a little bit late, but we wanted to talk about it because I I think Ronnie Chang is a comedian that is on our radar, someone that Mm -hmm. I think is a rising star. We just saw him in a Marvel movie, Shang-Chi, recently. So as he as he talks about in the special. Also so, in Crazy Rich Asians, definitely foraying into Hollywood beyond so the Daily Show. His star is on the rise. And I, I really liked all I liked all the specials I've seen from him prior to this. You know, I, he's a comedian that's appeared on the, on the Daily Show. I think he has at least one of the Netflix specials, not right. two. So he's been one of my... I wouldn't say like someone I listen to all the time, but every time he puts something I want to watch it. So he's a, a, he's up there for me on the comedy list. I gotta say speakeasy did not deliver for me the way that I thought it was going to. Um, I, I think he definitely leans into social commentary um, a lot in this and mm. doesn't always necessarily I think deliver on the jokes in it. Um, but I'm wondering if maybe I'm just a curmudgeon for comedy recently. And maybe you found this to be a little bit funnier. No, I, I agree overall. His first Netflix special Asian comedian destroys America exclamation point from 2019. <laughs> Definitely liked that one a lot more speakeasy. You know, 
it's not that he doesn't try, but I just don't think he ends up like bringing all his jokes or anecdotes back around in like an interesting way. The second half of the special just kind of felt a bit meandering to me. And that's just kind of unfortunate given what I've been, what stand up I have seen this year, you know, like Aziz, it's not that Aziz is a night, nightclub comedian was super focused either, but I just thought his observations were a lot more poignant, poignant and, and, and uh, interesting as observations, right? And obviously, Rothaniel is, we, we, we spoke eloquently about that last week, very uh, acclaimed, right? Completely different than this. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I just don't think Speakeasy really comes together as much as I wanted to. I thought it started off promisingly enough, but that definitely a bit of a letdown. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think like, what were the moments that I found myself really laughing during this? And not many moments feel super memorable. I guess when he was talking about um, living with his parents, you know, in Singapore during the pandemic, and she was then like talking about how his America isn't really the, the beacon of hope or promise yeah. that it once was really stands out and, uh, I think his his jokes about that made me laugh. I think also talking about getting canceled and how he's like, I mm. dare you to cancel me. So I have to go back to Singapore where I am like this huge star <laughs> that everybody loves and I have all this money. I thought that was pretty funny. Like, and that, that definitely fits for his persona, which is like uh, kind of like fuck you like persona. Um, but yeah, I mean, not much else really stands out too much. Anything that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, I think early on, I liked how he was just like making fun of people that are like stupid people that are questioning the science of yeah vaccines and stuff like that. He's like, you know, you can be book dumb and street dumb. It's not automatic that you are one one smart, you know, I thought that was yeah. kind of funny the thing, though, is like, I feel like he ended up beating a lot of stuff into the ground. Like, like you said, the thing about cancel me, so I have to go back to singapore where i'm beloved you know and i've already i'm even more famous there than i am here that is a funny way to put it but i feel like you kind of droned on about the can't cancel me even if he's doing it like in a sarcastic way i just kind of don't want to hear comedians talk about cancellation at all it's just like super rote material at this point you know um also like i like that thing where i, I liked when he's like you know women don't owe you anything the problem is like the second half where he kind of goes on about um, his experience in the UK and how the UK comedy scene is different than the one in America. Yeah. I feel like he just kind of went really long on that without bringing it back around in an interesting way. And it's almost like really like specific observations. That's not actually that interesting to non standup comedians. And it's just, it was just kind of weird to dedicate so much time to that to me. So yeah, I was just I was just kind of like left a little wanting for he's making a lot of overt references to the modern times and political and, and, and current politics and stuff, but he never brings anything around in an interesting way. Like I don't want to hear you like droning on about people criticizing comedy when they don't aren't comedians. It's like that's just like a really stupid thing to say. Like again, people only can enjoy comedy, but if they don't like it, they're uneducated about it and because they don't do it themselves. It's like when athletes criticize people that talk about their game who aren't athletes, yeah. you know, it's just like, 
I just don't like hearing that because it comes, it's not, he's not a hack, but it comes off as like a hack, hack observation to me. I just, this is really annoying. Yeah. You know, I think, I think overall it didn't feel as focused as his past specials. And I also think the room, so, you know, title of it is speakeasy. He's doing this in a, a smaller room, much more intimate yeah. setting. He's like it's standing a, right above people. It's a restaurant tables. in New York city specifically. So it, it's, I think it's not necessarily conducive to like getting the big laughs from the audience, but mm. I also didn't feel like the audience in the room was responding to the jokes either as much. And maybe that also took away, or maybe that spoke to the fact that this yeah. just was not, not a good, not, sign. not his best, but um, mm. yeah, I think overall uh, better days ahead for Ronnie Chang, but right. um, I think he's still someone to, to stay tuned into. Yeah. This, this was actually shot at Chinese tuxedo, which is a Cantonese restaurant in Chinatown in New York. And it's uh, in, in a building that once housed New York's first Chinese language theater. So that kind of explains yeah. some of the history of that. I think it looks awesome, like the staging yeah, of does. that, him kind of in the center of the, the restaurant room, all these tables around him. Really nice presentation. I just wish, you know, the actual material kind of lived up to that visual. Absolutely. Why don't we uh, keep it moving, though? We're going to move on to a new show that dropped its first three episodes on HBO this past week, Tokyo Vice. And uh, dog, <laughs> I was looking forward to this one. I definitely think there's some things to talk about in terms of, you know, I, th- I think there's some critiques of the show that uh, are warranted. And, and mm-hmm. also I think that, Maybe it doesn't have to take away from everything about the show, but uh, overall, I mean, the I think the catch of Michael Mann is directing the first episode of this is really enticing, right? Because you you just yeah. know, okay, they're they're calling in the big guns for this, and uh, it's it's based off a book of the same name by Jake Adelstein. So I think the book was a bestseller. So I think yeah. you know that the the source material is really good got Ansel Elgort at the helm, which is a little bit unfortunate um, given his personal yep. life issues. But overall, I, I got to say, like, I really enjoy these first three episodes. I'm totally in on the show. Um, and I think you can take it for what it is, but also kind of recognize that maybe there's some some flaws to the creation of it. What what did what was your overall experience with the first three episodes? Yeah, I'm totally digging it as well there's plenty of reservations people can have about it but i think it's very well done super compelling i can't wait to see more i think michael mann does a really good job with the pilot just because he immediately inserts his visual language that we associate with his filmmaking in terms of very specific uh close-ups Looks awesome. It's great to see Michael Mann back. He hasn't really done a whole lot since Black Hat came out in like 2015, I think it was. It's been a while. Um, to get this, I think he definitely put his stamp on it in a nice way. And yeah, you might be thinking, it's like, oh, well, story set in Tokyo. Main protagonist is a white guy. Hmm. Do we really need the guy Jin perspective going through uh Asia, you know, the audience avatar for white people watching the show. And it's like, you know what? You're, you're right. There's probably a better version of this show that's just completely Japanese, to be honest. Yeah. That's probably completely true. However, I think it's 
at least uh, acceptable because, as you said, this is based on Jake Adelstein's memoir where he really did become the first foreign uh, reporter at one of the biggest newspapers in Tokyo in the 90s. And he did, in fact, in real life, become very embroiled with his reporting on uh, the Yakuza and organized crime in Japan. So this is ultimately based in reality. So I think it's okay that, yes, you're seeing a, a white perspective you know, in this, this foreign world. I think they're doing enough work to show other perspectives, other characters, such as uh, Sato, who's like the uh, kind of rising Yakuza figure, the young man yeah. there. They're giving you other perspectives that's not just how everybody bounces off Jake and his, his foreign perspective. I think they're doing enough work to make it at least a little bit more than just white guy goes to Japan. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually think the work that they do with um, uh, Hideki Ito as the detective um, Jin, Detective Jin Miyamoto, um, mm-hmm. I probably butchered that last name. Um, yeah, I think he kind of builds out the perspective of like that grimy uh, underbelly of like the, the inner workings of the like exchange of information yeah. <laughs> and just kind of like the the game of it all right. everybody just can a be straight bought. up vice detective everyone um, can be bought yeah and then you know you kind of get ken watsonabe who's a little of different course. right he has and, and just amazing like the presence he brings in every scene is just uh, incredible but he he brings a little bit of a different perspective to it mm-hmm. obviously you you mentioned um what they were doing with um Sato. Uh, sorry. Yeah, Sato. Thank you. But then also his boss at um, the newspaper. Um, you see some scenes yes. of, of her at home in, in the third episode. And I just think like the way that they kind of show the perspective of all the different people within this culture and how they are all kind of part of this game and this like right. overall like ruse from the government to like kind of keep things quiet and like right. you know there there aren't murders in Japan they, it's always mm-hmm. something else they never charge for this like right. very like interesting and and I agree with you that they build it out more but I do think it, it's a fair criticism and I I agree with your take if this was all Japanese or made all by all Japanese creators it probably would be brilliant as well so I think both can probably be a good project totally yeah. Yeah, I really like um, uh, Hiroto, Kawanabe's character. I really like how, as you said, he kind of brings it in. It's like, you can't get rid of the Yakuza, so you just have to keep the peace. So yeah. that means you have to make certain decisions about how you police them. Very interesting. And now we're obviously seeing this tension being built up of these various Yakuza factions beginning to, leading up to open conflict against each other, how that affects everyone else. Um, it's all it's it, it's really interesting it's really cool I think the show looks awesome you know like we're spending a lot of time in Shinjuku I think like just those streets just look awesome like I said we already have Michael Mann's style kind of transposed on how they're making this show so it's really cool you know it is funny to see Elgort's presence throughout the show just because Ansel Elgort is like six six three I think six two six three he's a big guy uh, as far as actors go so they have to kind of almost hide him in, in, in the frame a lot of the time. And it doesn't actually, they don't actually make it look like he's towering over people all the time because he's, often, he's like, he's hunched over at his desk or he's sitting at, at, at the bar with his friends that he's made at the paper and stuff like that. I think they're, they're doing an interesting way of portraying him. I'm curious to see how Rachel Keller's character, Samantha, who is a, uh, 
uh, hostess, you know, uh, figure. Interested to see how she factors in. She's another white expat in the city. And, you know, I, I, I hope we just don't kind of sideline like Sato, for example, for other white perspective, because I feel like you can kind of see where Sam's plot is going. They did a very clear showing of her hiding rolled up money in a cabinet. And it's like, hmm, I have a feeling someone's going to take that from you because you don't use the bank. Don't know why I feel that way. I've just probably seen things (laughs) once or (laughs) twice, you know, uh, but overall, I'm 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 pretty happy with it, man. I um, you know, going in knowing it's stars and Solgor, you have reservations about, you know, whether he's just going to tank the whole thing. But mm-hmm. I, I honestly think he's acquitting himself well. To his credit, he's speaking a lot of Japanese. He had to learn Japanese for this role. That that is impressive. No matter obviously, we don't know how well he's actually speaking it, but the, I think that still, I think, goes a long way in terms of making the series feel authentic. Oh, totally. I, I, I give him a ton of credit. I actually think, you know, one of the big uh, critiques of him as an actor is that he's not super expressive, maybe a mm-hmm. little bit too like within himself sometimes. I think he does a pretty good job in this of being yeah. expressive, especially because, like you said, uh, you there are subtitles. He speak, Most of this is in Japanese. It goes kind of flips between Japanese and English a lot. So he kind of has to be expressive, I think, to get across some of what he's feeling. But and what's going on in the scene. And I think he does a really good job and it's, uh, it's been nice to kind of see him. And I'm looking forward to his um, relationship with Ken Watanabe's uh, Hiroto um, just kind of developing and and seeing how it gets to where, where you see them being confronted with the, you know, like the head of the Yakuza at the beginning of the show. Like that was a super tense scene to start it off. I thought that was great. Um, Mm -hmm. Any like moments from the show or any like scenes that really, stick with you yeah well i i just think seeing seeing yakuza in general is always fun just because they're a different sort of mafia they have their own customs they're not like the italian mob for example that we obviously see all the time in american culture so just just being around the yakuza and seeing their customs and seeing how someone like sato can rise up but how he goes about that is probably different than what we expect from seeing other organized crime before on tv before um just really nice to to be with them and i feel like the 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 scene where uh where jake goes on the raid with with hiroto and they basically arrest three guys that volunteer themselves up and that's the punishment on this faction uh for the earlier incident at the at the bar yep when that guy goes face to face with hiroto and he's like, this is very irregular, taking arresting more of my guys. And, and Hiroto like just shouts him down basically with it with his icy stare. It's like, wow, that was sick. And you can yep. I, I really like how Elgort plays it too. He can like barely wipe the smile off his face that he's having this experience. He's actually like succeeding in his job by a happenstance more than anything else. That's really cool. But the guy who like steps up to Hiroto. That guy just has a look about him, man, like the slicked back hair and stuff and like this stern face. I was like, "Mm, we're going to see him again. I can't wait. Can't wait for that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's so much like stylistically about the show that I think really stands out. But in terms of the scenes that really stick with me, um, I think Rachel Keller's introduction to the show where she's doing Mm -hmm. karaoke is a 
really standout moment for me. Just and also great to see Rachel Keller, um, you yeah. know, in, a, in another great show again since Legion. I think she really stood out as Sid in that, and um, right, of course, seeing her get another look is cool. Um, I really loved when uh, Jake and Soto uh, or Sato have the the moment uh, where they have a conversation in the club. I thought that but- <laughs> was super tense and like, but just like done so well. Um, yeah, just really love that. And I also, I think like all the stuff you get with Sato and like kind of learning about his backstory as this fisherman right. who was kind of plucked off the docks, um, seeing that he has this like problem with anger where he can kind of like snap and lose it. Right. And seeing that play out as he's like challenged within the Yakuza and then he has to kind of like uh, take a punishment for losing it and almost being that guy to death. Just so I, I found that all to be really, really mm-hmm. uh, interesting and cool to watch so i really enjoyed the visual storytelling in the first episode again man's just part of it because i think i thought there was a really subtle way of like immediately knowing exactly where you are because you see jake on i believe was the bus maybe it was the train he's reading some books and like oh we're in the late 90s japan this is after like the economic collapse and the lost decade basically right after the period that's about to happen in the present day sequences in pachinko for for example like i love how they immediately put put you there but also we're still in a pre uh mainstream internet pre smartphone time in the, mm-hmm. and and that it's just more fun to be in that kind of world for this kind of story you know yeah. i love the newsroom being in an old mm-hmm. school cracking newsroom with hundreds of people it's great it's so great and just seeing uh jake and his uh his Walk friends he's made us fellow like rookies I, I oh yeah i really enjoy all their energy and their and their kind of shared struggle as it were yeah i i also like the time frame of it because you mentioned i think a lot of great points but i really like the walkman aspect of it and how he's like mm-hmm. kind of walking around not only listening to music but also listening to these voicemails or, or i guess messages his sister sends yeah, him tapes. And like uh kind of building out his world that way i think is really um really fun and just kind of cool to like reminisce about that time period in general but yeah i mean i'm loving tokyo vice so far i can't wait to keep up with it as we go along any final thoughts uh yeah just in research they tried to make this into a film uh relatively recently that didn't go anywhere and they had cast daniel radcliffe as jake adelstein that would have been an interesting uh interesting portrayal i think he could have pulled it off honestly yeah you know? probably but de- definitely a different kind of actor than Ansel is for oh, sure. <laughs> totally. Uh, I wonder which one the actual Jake would prefer or is more like. It's so a great question. Interesting to think about. Um, why don't we keep it moving, though, to The Dropout, the Hulu series about Elizabeth Holmes and the Theranos scandal, which wrapped up this past week. Uh Dave, I mean, after the after the first couple episodes dropped, so we we talked about this. You can go check out that review. Um, and I think we really liked it. And there was a we were kind of impressed with Seafried's transformation mm-hmm. um, yeah. and just her performance in general. And I think there was a lot of intrigue about uh, you know what the what we were going to see and how it was going to kind of unravel. Uh, what did, now that you've seen the whole thing? Did you feel like it met your expectations, or how did you feel about it? Yeah, no, here at uh, here at Theranos, you know, we uh, really liked the <laughs> podcast and we just thought the, the, the energy was really good and just drinking that green juice. You know, no, I, I thought uh, I thought the dropout was excellent start to finish. And 
it's really great to have one of these like grifter founder shows that came out this year, early this year, actually succeed. Because there's been so much of these, right? Inventing Anna, uh, We Crashed, Super Pumped, and The Dropout. Dropout clearly rose to the top. And I think that's because the show tells a story in an interesting way. And that central performance from Seyfried is just really great. It's not parody of Elizabeth Holmes and her put on affectations and a ridiculous or, or, or um, put upon dress and, and mannerisms and stuff. It's not like that, but the show also isn't just trying to be Wikipedia of the Theranos and Holmes story. It actually is trying to say a little something, something a little bigger about how it uh, goes about the story. And I think that might perhaps present issues with the finale, depending on who you ask, because the finale doesn't exactly what, uh, show us the just desserts that everyone wants to see you know but overall I, I was quite impressed with it yeah i i definitely was impressed with it i i thought it did a really good job of holding the tension of when are they going to find this out like how how have they not found this this grifter out yet for real and also kind of like just explaining the madness and like the manipulation that elizabeth right. and um sunny were able to uh, execute on all these really powerful people. And I got to say, if Siegfried wasn't good in this, the show wouldn't have worked. I think her performance is key to the show being interesting because you really need to believe that these rich white men are, are seeing something in her and seeing her as like this way of them saying something about themselves. And I think she does a really good job of kind of towing that line between like, this is just like a fucking idiot who just kind of stumbled into this idea that people think is great and was able to yeah. sell it and now can't execute. And also being like, but you also see the, the charisma that Elizabeth yeah. Holmes had that mm. people really bought into. So I think, I think Seafree's awesome. And Naveen Andrews is uh, of course, I think uh, a brilliant uh, you know, playing alongside her the whole time. Right. Their relationship is so fucked up. So fucked oh, up yeah. throughout the show. Holy yeah. shit. Everything with Sonny and Elizabeth is, is is awesome, and you never quite understand their relationship either, which I think makes it so good. You know, you see all these things change with them. By the end, they're in this huge mansion, and you know, before that, like halfway through the series, you know, Sonny buys the Lamborghini or whatever it is, and it's yeah. like, but they're both just odd people, to yep. to to put it mildly, and Elizabeth kind of never could turn it off and never actually was a real person until she created this persona when she made Theranos. But, you know, I said this in the earlier review, if she had maybe met someone really smart that had a good idea that maybe wasn't science-based, you know, just different kind of tech probably could have been very successful because she was good at being a CEO in terms of getting funding and leading in the sense of instilling belief and faith from your followers you know but I, I also really like how they contrast all that with Elizabeth Holmes real life uh, almost obsession with Steve Jobs and the idea of the founder right and you know it starts with her dress right in the black turtlenecks and stuff but just her whole like ethos about just it's me that you're investing in and, and you believe yeah. in me right it's you're with us you're against us stuff like a lot I just really like how they handled all that. And this kind of feels like the first really good example of like 
the the the, the sins of the founder since like the social network honestly it's been a while yeah the, the, i think that's a really good point you know i'm trying to like think about which episode stands out the most and i feel like almost every single one had something in it that i really really liked you know i think the episodes i maybe liked the most were when they were trying to sell walgreens on yeah. the the product yeah and you get alan ruck um kind of running around as this like physician who believes in her while the other guy doesn't and uh the other guy is very skeptical of the tech and really wants to see it and you just get so much like good stuff in there and then how they're playing them against that um, grocery store chain and uh, all like the manipulation and moves they do there so interesting to watch i also really like um seeing uh sam waterston um as uh george schultz and his relationship with his uh, grandson tyler i think that that really drives home the like the different perspectives, you know, that, that the people within this saw, like the the people who did not have the financial stake in it could take a step back and see that what was happening was hurting people. Whereas the people who seemed to have a financial stake in it were just so blinded and, you know, brainwashed by Elizabeth and Sonny that they couldn't see just how complicit they were in all this. And I think that really, um, that was really powerful. Also just thinking to like, the scene where they go to Arizona like the first time with mm-hmm. uh with the Theranos uh blood testing thing and they like walk into the room with all like the can- cancer patients who are just like so drained and so looking so haggard and I think that really like drives it home when the the engineer chemist is like I can't do this like this is not okay and like you're just like oh yeah this is so fucked up what they're doing mm-hmm. and I think I think the show does a really good job of showing just how gross uh, Elizabeth and Sonny were in their totally. manipulations. And, th- and then all the stuff with Ian, of course, too, is like, oh, yeah, very heartbreaking. And, and Stephen Fry brings such such presence as Ian Gibbons, too. I think yeah. it's a really good performance. But I, re- I also really enjoyed how the dropout kind of slowly, when it made sense, expanded its purview. It really starts out just in Elizabeth series. But then by the end, we were spending time with Tyler schultz and, and erica chung you know it's like we're kind of branching out as the story requires it that was done well funny enough you know sam waterson man in his 80s and a legendary actor at this point he's like a good like 15 years younger than george schultz actually was at the time of this story you know That's george crazy. schultz passed away in 2021 at the age of 100 he's very old when this was taking place uh yeah no i think overall though i i think it, it's definitely worth recommending because like i said it's not just the wikipedia of it all uh it, it it's i think trying to speak a little bit more about uh the uh sociopathic tendency that like, like the show actually has a point of view on that right like um and, and they don't actually the dropout doesn't actually accept what elizabeth has tried to say in court that it was really sunny pulling all the strings and he was the reason all this happened and manipulating me and abusing me and stuff, you know, it's like the show kind yeah. of like, yeah, no, that's not really how this worked. So definitely going to be paying attention to when her sentencing happens. I know that the Sonny Balwani trial is still ongoing. They were being tried separately. So this story will probably have more, uh, more information at the end of the year, but I feel like it's kind of a definitive series. We don't really need anything more on, on Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes because you got this. 
Yeah, I agree. I hope we don't get more, but we probably will. Um, oh, wait, hold on. We're getting the Jennifer Lawrence Apple movie, so we're still getting more. Uh, all right, well, <laughs> well, maybe we'll talk about that. Let's keep it moving, though, to the big screen now. And Michael Mann. No, not Michael Mann. Michael Bay. Sorry, I had Michael Mann on the brain from the Tokyo mm. Vice review we just did. There Check is Michael Mann knots to this. We can get to that. There are. But, uh, yeah, no, the Michael Bay return to form? question mark with ambulance yes correct you do, do you feel like you feel that way you feel like this is a return to form for him. yeah well i mean think about where we've been with michael bay the last two feature films he directed were six underground for netflix and transformers the last night the fifth and final transformers film he made so we're not exactly competing with a whole lot for for, for michael bay getting back to what he does best but yeah, I think this is a lot more in line with his early stuff, like Bad Boys and The Rock, because it's kind of a classic action film, familiar chase movie, L.A. film with movie stars, practical action, looks crazy. That's what we want from Michael Bay, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think so. I mean, I, I do. I will just, I think, say, Action films are not always my like go-to, so I wasn't going into this being like, oh, I can't wait to watch the new Michael Bay thing. But I do think for you know the, what you just laid out, Six Underground, all the Transformers, uh, you know, Thirteen Hours. This is a step up from that for sure. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous, but it wouldn't be a Michael Bay movie if it wasn't ridiculous in like the best ways possible. And uh, I have to say, out of everything in this movie, just Jake Gyllenhaal just being completely unhinged in his yes. performance the whole time is like probably my, my favorite part because he toes the line between like, oh, he's he's being normal right now. And then he just flips a switch and he's you're like, oh, this guy's just a complete psychopath who is like doing this. Um, you know, the, the story follows uh, like like I just mentioned, um, Jake Gyllenhaal as Danny and Yaya uh, Abdul-Mateen the second as Will, uh, two adopted brothers who, uh, whose father were, was a bank robber and they kind of followed in his footsteps and they get caught up in a bank robbery that goes wrong um, and they are running from the police in an ambulance. That's where the name comes from. And then it's just about ah. this chase. And so you, you get a lot of stuff with just like in that description, right? You kind of get the bank heist movie. You get the bank heist gone wrong movie. You get mm -hmm. the chase movie. Yep. You get shit exploding everywhere. Mm. There's LA a lot movie. going on. Yeah, a very good L.A. movie, I'd say. I think you really get a sense of like some of the, the parts of L.A., which is nice. Although really interesting i i was a bit confused at first because one of the guys in their their group definitely had like a brooklyn accent and i was like <laughs> what the fuck is this guy doing here like such yeah what <laughs> so so random right but overall i thought it i thought it was definitely enjoyable to watch yeah totally uh i i also like how it's very self-referential for michael bay he's definitely kind of uh progressing into a new stage of his career it seems like like the characters are literally talking about one of these characters is trying to talk about the film, the rock and the other character thinks he's talking about Dwayne, the rock Johnson. That's really funny. Also, uh, the, the, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen's character, w William Sharp, it's the same exact character name as William Finkter 
Fickner and uh, Armageddon, literally the same yeah. name. Um, I think there's a few other nods. I think like they that. mentioned Bad Boys or something like that at one point too. And I, I, I think the thing that stood out to me the most though was early on. There's a bank heist that definitely feels like Heat, Michael Mann. Oh yeah. And they literally have a guy in the crew with long blonde hair that definitely is supposed to invoke Val Kilmer's mm-hmm. character in Heat. And I was like, wow, this is really fun to see, you know. <laughs> but I think just watching the movie, I actually saw it in IMAX, like. Seeing Michael Bay be his tactician self with action is always a treat because when he's actually doing real action and not Transformers, it's not, very few people are on that kind of level. And I think that's that has to be the appeal because, you know, script and, and story and character is not his strong suit. It's really the it's really the, the showmanship of the action. And in this case, Michael Bay discovered drones and he went <laughs> hardcore with these drones flipping them around and shit it's we're almost like doing tons of like hard close-ups on the action it's almost uh claustrophobic to watch at times but it's still kind of breathtaking so i thought it was a really thrilling film i really appreciated that isaac gonzalez's character cam the mt she's not just a damsel in distress she's actually like the hero of the film it's a fully formed yeah. character at that that was really important for the movie to work. And like you said, I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal just completely on tilt in this movie, <laughs> which honestly is in line with the last, you know, eight years of his career in terms of all the roles he's doing. He's not playing normal people. So no. keep it going. Yeah, well, I guess the last one we saw him in was uh, the, the Dispatcher one. The guilty remake. Yes, the guilty. Um, which I didn't I didn't love, you know, kind of in no. retrospect, but he definitely was not a normal person in that either. So. Right. But Good like point. thinking of like, you know, like prisoners and, and nightcrawler and yep. end of watch and basically once Jake G had that comeback happen, you know, he yeah. kinda became a different kind of star. And unfortunately this movie has not had a good box office at all, which is really disappointing. On the other hand, Michael Bay apparently only made this movie for $40 million. I was like, wow, you, you really accomplished a lot from the set piece side of things with yeah, that budget. Many, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. I mean, how many like cars just exploding into things and like actually crashing yeah. into things? I mean, that, right. that had to be most of the budget right there. It had to be. Uh, so many cop shit. cars. Yeah. Multiple um, helicopters. Yeah. Uh, any like scenes in particular that you just mm. loved? It has to be the the sixty mile or an hour surgery, yeah, that is performed by Isa and Yaya on the uh, dying cop in the ambulance. Like that is like this a crazy idea for a set piece, and they just go into it, and then like they don't hold anything back. It's like you know, watch out in case this thing happens to him. And then that thing immediately happens to the guy they're operating on. It's like so fucking sick. So even though like this is a movie with like lots of plot convenience and tons of, you know, like unbelievable stuff from like an LA traffic uh, scenario, for example, like you have to, I think, leave a lot of that at the door. And this movie keeps introducing characters, even like the third act, you're meeting new people, like the cartel guys and stuff. I just don't care because like it just has such like a sense of forward momentum, which is kind of what you want from a chase movie. Yeah, no, it, it I definitely think it's enjoyable. Um, you know, I don't I, I think your your points that you just said are definitely taken. Also, like Kiro Donnell is like 
the FBI agent is so yes. random. Like what, what a pull. Yeah, and, and just like letting crashers, of course. Yeah, and just so ridiculous that he's like, uh, I used to be like roommates with Danny back in the day. I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> I can get through to him. You haven't gotten through to him the entire time, and now you're like, oh, I can get through to him. What are you? We start learning about? about Danny, Danny's dad being this master yeah. bank robber. It's, oh, it's, it's all, all this subtext we don't necessarily need. We really don't. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, it's it's a fun movie. It's like one of those turn your brain off, just like enjoy the explosions, yeah. Michael Bay movies. So it, it's really not that far off from classic stuff like Speed, honestly. Yeah, you know, and these movies exist because they're really fun and people really like them. It's unfortunate this movie didn't find an audience at the box office, but I think this will have a a longer tail in the consciousness than say Six Underground did, where. I think Six Underground, the first 30 minutes are pretty fun from a set piece perspective, but the movie just has like no brain at all. And Ryan Reynolds also kind of puts you into a certain corner as an actor. So I think Ambulance definitely has a, you know, longer future on YouTube and VOD and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, So check that out. And that will do it for us this week. But Dave, a lot of good stuff coming next week, I think, right? Yep. Better Call Saul. Final season starting off. Can't wait. Fantastic Beasts. The Secrets of Dumbledore. Fantastic Beasts 3. I, well, I could have kept waiting for this one, but we're seeing it nonetheless. Swedish House Mafia. Comeback album. I'm curious to see what that's like. And we're going to do XXL Freshman 2022. And I think this will be a very interesting one because there are not a lot of obvious picks this year. Probably the first time I've ever said that about XXL. So it should be interesting. Well, uh, hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash now pod and also go to Spotify and follow our now Selja best of 2022 playlist, which we will have all the music from today on and we'll catch you next week. Yeah.